1978. It's known as the year of three popes. Pope Paul VI, John Paul I, and of course, John Paul the Great. 1976, just before he died, Pope Paul VI was talking to his secretary, Monsignor John McGee, walking through the halls of St. Peter's Basilica. He turned to Monsignor McGee and said, Would you like to know the secret of my spirituality? Monsignor McGee said, Yes, of course. Please tell me. He said, I got it from the writings of St. Augustine. And in the writings of St. Augustine, Paul VI said, he found two great extremes that that make up the entire spiritual life. On one hand, the infinite love of God, always present, always available. And on the other hand, the seemingly infinite misery of our human condition, always inclined to sin, always falling back into our weakness, seemingly irredeemable. And Paul VI said to his secretary, there's a great tension there between that great love of God and that depth of our human experience that only can be bridged by Christ. And he said, you know the Latin word for our human experience? Miseria. You know the Latin word for heart? Core. Cordis. The experience of what God is is when God extends into our misery with his own heart and draws it to himself. Miseria cor misericordia. The word for mercy. And when we experience the mercy of God, what is our response? Monsignor McGee said, there's only one possible response for that. It's the response that the Blessed Mother had when she realized what God had done for her. Magnificat! My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And Paul VI said, now you know the secret to my spirituality. Miseria, misericordia, magnificat. That's the Christian life, summarized in three words. And what is misericordia? What is it when God draws our misery to himself? You see it on the cross. The cross is the revelation of the mercy of God. All the things that have ever been suffered, all of the weaknesses, all of the temptations, all the shortcomings, drawn to himself as though they were his own. I've been a priest for about ten years. Before I left the seminary, professors told me all sorts of things that people would ask me. They're all wrong. They're all wrong. You know the one thing that people have asked more than anything else? One word. They've asked me, why? They look at the misery of their life and they want an answer. Why? I remember one night, two in the morning, got a phone call from the hospital. Not an unfamiliar scene for a priest living in a large parish, as I was in the time. 
And the nurse on the other end of the line said words that I've heard so many times, said that there's been a tragedy and the family is requesting a priest. So I got up, drove over to the hospital, and no amount of seminary preparation and no amount of experience could possibly prepare me for what I saw. Nine-year-old girl, third grade, perfectly healthy when she went to sleep died of a brain aneurysm. And before me was the image that you could only imagine at the foot of the cross. A mother holding her dying child in her arms. Perfectly healthy just a few hours later, sobbing uncontrollably. And she turned to me and she said, Why? Why? It wasn't the time for a sermon. I had no answer. She ran out into the night sky and looked up into the empty stars and said, Why? It's the question that's echoed down through the ages. Why does God allow such things to happen? There is no answer to that question. No human words can formulate an intelligible answer to that question. The answer to that question isn't a thing. The answer to that question is a person. This is the answer to the question. That everything, every evil, every sin, every hardship has not only been redeemed, it's been endured by the one who is innocent. This is the revelation of the mercy of God. And to encounter that is to understand the Magnificat of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Miseria, misericordia, Magnificat. The Oxford English Dictionary lists over 675,000 words in the English language. Webster's cuts a little bit tighter. They list 475,000. English scholars will estimate there's around 100,000 words in common usage in the English language in this country. Biblical Hebrew, by contrast, is a language of only five or 6,000 words. And yet with one-twentieth of the common parlance of our own English language, they have five terms for mercy. Five words that help us understand exactly what this is that God did for us on the cross. The most common word in all of Hebrew for mercy is hased. And hased means mercy that is not deserved. It's exactly what it means. I remember having a retreat once, and the retreat master stood up and said words that have echoed down through my mind to the present day. He said, mercy belongs to those who do not deserve it. And that the mercy of God is the same before you sin, while you sin, and after you sin. Sounds amazing. But if you have any doubt, just read the book of the prophet Hosea. And you will see the entire lesson of God's mercy, said, played out. Prophet Hosea married a prostitute. Because the image that God wanted to tell his people Israel is that his faithfulness and their unfaithfulness was like that union continual unfaithfulness on the part of his people and unrelenting, unflinching love on the part of God. Hesed. 
Another word for mercy that shows up in Hebrew is the verb anim. Anim means to bestow favors graciously and without merit. If you want to know the meaning of the word anim, you've got to think about the story of Cinderella. It tells the whole story. It's like what God said to Israel. I found you on this corner in rags. He says this in the book of the prophet Isaiah. Covered with dirt. And I drew you to myself. Gracious, unmerited goodness. It's an anecdote that I heard once. It describes anim. A man stands by the side of the road in his village. Suddenly, the carriages and the horses of the king's entourage begin to come by. The man presses himself to the front of the crowd that's gathering by the side of the street. The king's carriage passes by. The man leaps forward and says, Please, please, your majesty, can I please have something to eat? The king looks to his assistant and says, Make this man man the mayor of my capital city. The man says, but all I wanted was a bite to eat. The king replies, I know. You ask like a beggar. I give like a king. That's anim. That's what God gives. You come to him with your sins. You come to him with your, with your, with your misery. You come to him with your faults. And he gives you a kingdom. That's anim. That's what he did for you on the cross. Your sins became his. His glory became yours. This comes down to us in the word, in the name Hannah, or in the English name Anne, which means a gracious person. Another word for mercy that comes down to us from Hebrew, to help us understand this, is rachamin. Rachamin describes the love that a mother has for a newborn child. I remember I was uh, again called to the hospital. Emergency baptism in the neonatal intensive care unit. It's a tiny little thing, not even the size of a woman's shoe, in an incubator, tubes, tape, lights, dials, all over the place. It's a tiny little, tiny little thing, and the mother is absolutely distraught. For her, this child that has been born, this child who may not, and I reach through the glass of the incubator with sterilized water that's been heated to about 99 degrees, and I baptize the child, and the mother is completely inconsolable. And you know, I paid just as much attention to the mother as I did to the child, because there's a lesson there. What has the child done to earn such heartfelt, gut-wrenching love? What's the depth of the relationship? How much time have they spent together? How much quality conversation have they had? None. That's rachamim. That's what God has for you. It's something by... It's not even intelligible to the human mind. We need to, and the Hebrews use this word commonly to say mercy. And we say mercy. These meanings are lost on us. The depth of the meaning. Another word that the Hebrews use for mercy is seneca. And Seneca means righteousness. When you're really down in the dumps, remember this. Seneca means that God will show mercy to you because he owes it to himself to do it. That's what Seneca is. 
You go back into the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Genesis and Exodus, and the people are rising up against Yahweh and His promises, and God threatens to strike them down, and maybe Moses or one of the prophets says, you know, rethink that, please. And God says, I owe it to myself, because of the holiness of my name, to show them mercy. That's Seneca. When I don't know where else to turn, and I feel absolutely unworthy of any gentleness or goodness from God, I remind him of the word Seneca. You owe it to yourself to show me mercy. Don't ever forget that. The last word that the Hebrews used for mercy is emet. And emet was a word that almost describes the ground you stand on. It's something that can't shift. It's something that can't move. It's something you can't change or alter. It's just always there. More permanent than life itself. More permanent than the mountains. More permanent than the seas. This is a word they used for mercy. Behold the mercy of God. The misery of our human condition. Taken to his heart given to you as a gift. A gift. We call, it, we call it grace. We say you're going to come forward and receive the Blessed Sacrament and be filled with grace. You know what the word grace means? It comes from the Latin word gratia, which means free. Freely given away. But even greater than that is the, Hebrew word, is the Greek word charis. It's the Greek word for grace. And it means the beauty of God given away for the asking. This is the mercy of God that He has shown us on the cross. And so as we come to the end of our Lenten journey, let us not forget all that is revealed to us in the word mercy found on the cross. And maybe if you have the time on Good Friday, you'll come to the liturgy of the Passion, the most ancient liturgy in the entire church, And during that liturgy, before we receive the Eucharist, we step forward and line up to kneel down and press our lips to the wood of Christ's cross. When we realize what he has done for us, despite our total unworthiness, despite our absolute misery, we will understand what it means to say, we adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. We will understand at last why we call that Friday good.